welcome back to another episode of Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all the latest news, reviews, and speculation concerning Marvel films and TV shows. Today we're going to talk about Spider-Man with an emphasis on the man, because it is just me and Adam, it is Guy's Night here on the podcast, probably about 20% of our listeners just switched the podcast off because they wanted to hear Rhiannon, but it's just the two of us. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to do this uh, without you know doing anything to embarrass ourselves too badly. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's talk about uh, just real quickly uh, schedule stuff. I'm going to talk about this at the top of the podcast because we want to communicate well. Uh, this is kind of our last podcast before summer break. Uh, as you can tell, Rhiannon's not here tonight because she's traveling, and I'm about to be traveling, and. Uh, Life just gets real chaotic, so there will be this podcast that will hit on the 7th of July, then um, there will be no episode on the 14th, please don't tweet at us all day when no podcast comes out, we're just, we we, we can't do it, we're out of town, it's too busy, and then on the 21st we're going to put out something, but I don't know exactly what it'll look like, Rhiannon's going to be live from uh, Comic Con, and I think she's going to do some kind of content for our Twitter folks and also some content for our Patreon folks. And I'm going to take that information and somehow cut it up into something for a podcast that week. And then I'll be back to normal life by the 28th. So it's kind of the plan. So we know it's uh, nice to have a podcast every week, but it's also nice for me and Adam and Rhiannon to have real lives. Sure is. That's the schedule. I forget. Do you get to do anything fun, Adam? Nope. Not a damn thing, man. Just enjoy that wonderful Iowa heat wave. Oh, it's miserable today, man. It's been miserable all week. Yeah. Does it ever get so hot the corn starts to pop, or is that really ridiculous? Uh, The popping corn, but, like, field corn can't pop, no. Is popping corn, I don't know, like, is it out in the fields? Like, do you ever have a field just, like, spontaneously combust with corn? No, it's not like, uh, it's not like one of the big, the big fields are all, like, seed corn and crap like that. Like, popping corn and sweet corn is... Much, much smaller. You can't plant a, a whole field of sweet corn. That's typically like sweet corn patches, I guess, that you actually manually walk down and pick and stuff. That is far more a corn talk than I thought we'd ever do on Marvel News Desk. I know. Well, just got to make sure your corn's in the right mindset. No, these fields can start popping. It's the wrong type of corn. Can you imagine how awesome that'd be if you're just like driving down the street and all of a sudden it's just like, you know, and there's popcorn flying all over the place. Do you guys smell all that butter? Where's that butter coming from? All right. uh, Let's jump into the news. Uh, First thing up, let's talk about Spider-Man Far From Home. This will be a very Spider-Man centric episode. Uh, Let's talk about box office and how things are going. It's rolled out in several markets now. It got about $100 million in China. Uh, somewhat amazingly, it came in fourth all time of superhero movies behind Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, and Venom, which makes me very, very sad about what movie tastes are like in China. I mean, even if you liked Venom, I don't think you like Venom more than this movie, right? No, no, but it's, it's a super, I don't want to say volatile market, but it's certainly, um... 
unpredictable to a sense. Uh, everything I'm seeing says like for like markets. This movie is performing a lot better than not a lot better, but better than Homecoming, which Homecoming did fine. So that means this is well on track. Uh, it opened on a Tuesday, so it made thirty nine million dollars on the first day, and I think another twenty six today on Wednesday. Um, let's talk about this part of it. This release schedule, now that we've actually experienced it, this is really weird, isn't it? Like, release on a Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, But I did notice today my theater was packed when I saw it. Um, So I don't know. There were must have been holidays or something. I'm not sure if most people had Wednesdays off or what. Um, But yeah, my theater was packed um, even beyond. Captain Marvel, even beyond Endgame, um, so if something's working. That's the I. Our box office pundits counting from now until, um, what would it be? The, the, through the seventh as the weekend, they'll count it as a six. They have charts of six day releases for movies that came out on a Tuesday, so that's what they'll compare it against. But that's just kind of weird. Yeah, I saw a headline where it said, oh, record-breaking Tuesday. And then I'm like, well, what the hell other movies have ever come out on Tuesday? I'm sure some have somewhere, but nothing nearly this magnitude. Well, and the thing that um, I was thinking about, even as we came in, was a lot of theaters do discount tickets on Tuesday. And I actually read something online today that that actually affects box office. Like that 39 yesterday might have been whatever 45 million if it had been any other day of the week because a lot of places do like discount tickets on tuesdays i wonder what the uh because i know a a midsummer came out today too a a horror movie um i guess i haven't paid attention to it in years past if that was kind of something that's been an annual thing or what um but yeah i did think it was interesting there were a couple bigger movies at least that were uh coming out ahead of the weekend well, and I guess the idea is a lot of people were traveling today or, you know, will be off tomorrow or going to get a long weekend. So the idea is that you get people into the theater on that Tuesday or Wednesday before they go for the 4th so that travel plans don't hurt your box office is, like, the general concept. But it doesn't change how weird it is. It was super weird for us because I did the IMAX and they don't do reserved seating on Tuesdays for IMAX because it's a discounted ticket which what kind of barbarian rule is that anyway so that but it was really it was just not fun like we had to get there early and stake out our seats and then you know it was that uncomfortable thing I think it was a sold out showing and so like people are showing up five minutes before the movie and they're trying to find seats and people are saving seats and like people are crawling over you to get to the middle and they're like oh is there anybody here and it's like yes there's somebody there we're not all you know, like you're not the only person that tried to get this middle seat on the great row like and then it's just like fussing and complaining and like people climbing over each other and i just i don't like it like i just would have enjoyed us having our nice civilized preordained seats instead of this craziness and i just thought like this whole experience is not as fun because it's weird that it's on a Tuesday and it's different seating rules and all that kind of bizarre craziness. So, uh, but as you said, my 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 theater was totally full. I mean, I went to a six o'clock on Tuesday, 
And I could tell people were like racing in from work to be able to see it as quick as possible. So, uh, along the box office lines, Avengers Endgame did have their re-release last weekend, and they made some money, but definitely not. Uh, it was not a uh, forty million bonanza to get them over the amount. I think they're still like twenty-four million short, something like that. I know we talked about these expectations ahead. Were you, were you surprised it didn't do any better than it did, Adam? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I, I mean, there's clear um, ways they could have done better with it, obviously. Um, I know I haven't gone, um, mostly because there's only one theater in the whole state of Iowa that's showing it. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of... The closer um, we got to re-release and then hearing the details and the details leak, and I'm just like, ah, I'm not sure if if it's really worth it. Um, I don't know. I guess hindsight's totally 2020. You know, you would have thought if they did a uh, um, Black Widow stuff. I mean, surely they have enough stuff on, from Black Widow. They could have done a, a sizzle reel or or something of that nature. Or an actual post-credits tease of some sort. Uh, there was one interesting report. I think it was Forbes or something. Maybe it was Forbes. What's his name? Mendelssohn on Forbes had a scoop or, or theorized that the only reason they they did in-game re-release was to uh, pump Spider-Man Far From Home up. Um, which I'm not sure how the the t- I mean, I was going to say I'm not sure how the two go hand-in-hand, but... Obviously, storyline and it was Spider-Man in the whole works, but why would Marvel Studios go to the length of doing all this extra footage for Sony's bank account? Well, and the other thing that was really weird. I I think I read that same article, and in like one paragraph, it's like, oh no, this isn't to get the box office record. This was so that they could, you know, push business towards Endgame or uh, towards Far From Home. But then two paragraphs later, it was like. Another way they could have done this is to like build it as a double feature where you bought a ticket that got you entrance into both movies. But they didn't do that because Sony wasn't willing to cooperate with Marvel on that. I'm like, okay, so this is kind of weird that like you're saying that this is all to boost Far From Home, but then when it actually was like a package that could have helped Endgame, Far From Home wasn't willing to cooperate. Like it seemed very contradictory to me. To say both of those things at the same time. Right, right. And it totally could have been an opinion piece as well. I guess I didn't um, read too much into it. I know a lot a lot of people kind of go off of him and and base their stuff off of him. Um, box office mojo and the like. So it is what it is. I, I think... Um, I'm not sure what they expected, but you would think that it was a little bit disappointing, right? They finished... Worldwide, I think what eight point one million it was, or would they finish at again? Yeah, I think it was somewhere. That, I forget. It was somewhere eight or nine million. So, and this weekend's probably going to be back down to what one or two. I, I think it'll be interesting to see because Captain Marvel did have a. I don't know if you remember this. Captain Marvel was the number two movie in America when Endgame came out. So there will be people who will go back to see Endgame, and I think there'll be some. I can't imagine there's many. But there'll be some people somewhere that'll go, oh, do I need to see Endgame before I see this? To their friends who know. And they'll go, uh, yeah, it's kind of, in this case, like, it is a big deal. And they'll go, oh, okay, I'll see them both. So, 
It wouldn't surprise me if they squeeze another three or four million out of the domestic this weekend, but that's still, I don't think they're going to make it. And it really is a silly record because once you like generate for or account for inflation, it's not really a record. And even Avatar is not a record. You know, like no one will ever catch the inflation based number for Gone with the Wind. So it is kind of just a weird machismo thing to be like, hey, I, we're number one in this category that is purely based on the value of the dollar and all that kind of weirdness. So, uh, Let's talk about some more Eternals casting. This is news that hit right after we recorded last week, so it's a little stale. But word on the street is that Selma Hayek is being pursued for a role in Eternals. Adam, what do you think about that as far as her uh, being added to this cast? I would go to the length that I wonder if... Um, something happened with Angelina Jolie, and this would be the role that Angelina Jolie w- was thinking of. Because I-, I think the rap just uh, initially reported it, um, and I can't remember the verbiage. Um, but they only said that um, Angelina uh, Jolie was in in talks. It um, I don't know. It just kind of rubbed me odd that. Um, it seemed a lot less certain that Jolie was was involved with this. Um, Hayek's a huge name. It, that's the thing. They're, they they keep announcing these big names, and for the life of me, I it's hard to believe that a lot of these actors are signing on for more than more than one film. I guess we'll see. I, if I'm a betting man, they'd have the entire cast at San Diego. Yeah, when it first came out, my immediate thought was like, well, all they need to do is get Catherine Zeta-Jones and they'll have like the full trilogy of women who are objectified in Hollywood movies in the late 90s and early 2000s. Like, It just seems like such a similar kind of career arc to Hayek and Angelina Jolie, particularly if you combine it with the Keanu Reeves potentiality, which I realize now we know that they ask Keanu about everything. But if this movie actually came out with Selma Hayek and Keanu Reeves and Angelina Jolie it would start to feel almost like a retro movie like the biggest cast you could have possibly assembled in 1998 if that makes sense like it just it would kind of strike me as odd that they would have that many older actors particularly when you compare like to a movie like Far From Home where this movie skewed really young with audiences because they have a lot of young actors And I think that's smart. It keeps Marvel on the early edge of things. Marvel doesn't want to get to a place where they're making movies for 45-year-olds. There's just not enough money in that. Like, they need to continue to interest the teens and 20-somethings. Right. You mentioned San Diego a minute ago. There's also been rumors from Deadline that there could potentially be some sort of Avengers reunion at San Diego Comic-Con. Where they'll get the cast back together. Maybe as part of the Russo's panel. Uh, now we have a Russo's panel and a Marcus and McFeely panel that are both happening, I guess, on the Friday in Hall H. Does this move the needle for you at all? Like, do you want to see this cast all together? Or is this a little too much instant nostalgia going on? Uh, yeah, a little bit of that. I don't know. At this point, uh, it's just kind of tiring. More than enough in-game content um, at this point. And I mean, the whole media release is coming just shortly. Um, what later this month, I think, 23rd maybe, digitally? Um, that could be wrong, don't quote me on that. But, yeah, I don't know, I just kind of, 
in-game fatigued at this point. You know, I, I get that the Russos have made two really good movies, and Marcus and McFeely have have written two really good movies. It's just, has James Cameron ever had a Hall H panel? Uh, I think he's got, no, but he has a slightly different, like, fan base, I think. Kinda, sorta. Um, and, like, Marcus and McFeely, what other screenwriters are actually superstars that don't direct or something, you know? I did notice there was some interviews with the screenwriters of Far From Home this week. And I was like, oh, is this the new evolution now that, like, screenwriters are going to get interviewed just like directors? Like, are Marcus and McFeely the first of what's going to be a pattern now after every Marvel movie where we hang out with the screenwriters in interviews, you know? And which is crazy because, I mean, in addition to Infinity War and Endgame, Marcus and McFeely also wrote some of the worst received Marvel movies, you know? So um, people make people famous for all sorts of reasons. I'm not saying that they don't deserve it, of course, but I for the life a Hall H panel. You think Marcus and McFeely are gonna fill out their own Hall H panel? Well, I think it'll be helped by the fact it's right before or right after the Russos. It's gotta be so fill over or people waiting or something like that. What panel did Rhiannon sit through last year? Like Transformers or something like that, or some bizarre one? I can't remember. Well, and I'm just trying to figure out what can they possibly say about this movie they've not said already. Like, I've read a ton of interviews, and it's even getting to the point now where every time they do an interview, we get, like, a new batch of, like, articles from websites that just reiterate something that, like, we talked about three weeks ago. Like, it's just... I think you're right. I think enough is enough on Endgame. Like, let's let it sit a little bit. Right. And that's the thing, man. I've... I'm trying to hype myself up for the home media release, you know, so you can sit through and watch it, because, I mean, what's stopping, I mean, the, the Howard the Duck cameo came through, but I wonder if um, something else is in that final scene, you know, or, or picking apart, or, and then the thing is, with the home media release, then we have to sit through the director's commentary and the deleted scenes, and all that stuff. Yeah, I went to the re-release this weekend, just to kind of be part of it, and it was... It was fun as far as, like, it was a pretty full theater, so watching Endgame with a bunch of fans again was kind of enjoyable. As it ended, I thought to myself, I don't want to see this movie again for a while. Like, that was my third go, and I enjoyed it, but I'd be happy if it's another year or two before I see Endgame again. Like, I'm, I don't know. Hey, look at that. Those are my same exact thoughts on Far From Home. (laughs) Not that bad, but... We'll get to it. So, yeah, no, I think it's... I think it would be wise of Marvel to let the Avengers sit. Like, if we don't see the whole Avengers cast for another five years, and then they did, like, a special... It it doesn't have to be ten. Like, do a five-year retrospective and bring them back together, make it a TV special, or film it and put it on Disney Plus or whatever. I'm totally here for it. Just give me a little space. Like, this sounds bad, but I need Robert Downey Jr. to go away for a little while, you know? Like... Let us, like, just settle into this new reality instead of popping in our face every time we turn around, so. Man, if they didn't uh, stop listening to the podcast earlier, they're definitely out now. <laughs> no one left listening. Now we're shitting on Endgame, and I don't know, it's just so much stuff. You know, you can only dissect a movie so much, and we've done it for two months? Well, we've done it for 14, because... We spent a whole year talking about it and getting ready for it, you know, and like every trailer and, you know, it just, 
The other thing I noticed, this is off topic, but the other thing I really noticed about Endgame, they did a great job of hiding certain secrets so that there were a lot of surprises in it. Repeat viewings are not as good of Endgame because the surprises, like I know they're coming. Like when they go to Thanos' planet and Thor takes care of Thanos in the first 20 minutes. The first time I saw it, I was like, what? And then now, I just know that's a plot point in the movie and he's going to be back. And so... I don't know. I just feel like I really am convinced Infinity War is a better rewatch movie than Endgame. But I may be alone on that island. So, all right, uh, let's talk about something you wrote up for uh, comicbook.com. So Netflix has yanked some episodes of Chelsea Handler live. Well, no, I I think this is an interesting topic, though. I mean, I know you guys were writing it up in part just because you have to have content. But this is an unusual thing that Netflix chose to remove content from their service. Right. And it, I couldn't even tell from the original article, like, why they did it? it like, to create artificial scarcity or something? Something like... So, it should be known that they didn't just release a chunk of episodes. They released, or they removed half of um, the series. I, I think in total there's 120 episodes. I mean, they removed 66 of them. Um, Chelsea Late Night Talk Show, what have you. Um, And the reasoning was that they wanted people to get caught up before season two. Um, How do you need to get caught up with a late night show? You know, I don't know. It was just a totally bizarre scenario. And, I mean, up until this point, you know... I guess I just assumed all Netflix content was safe, right? It's their content. Why would they remove it from? Why would they remove it from the streaming platform? Um, I'm not sure if it's saving them resources on on server space or um, if there's maintenance overhead for some reason. If you have to pay someone to watch the episodes to make sure they didn't break every two years or something, I don't. I don't know. It's just. It's kind of bizarre, um, and it does raise the question. I mean, you know, there's that. It's, I would call it a failed relationship between um, Netflix and Marvel Television. You know, what's what's stopping Netflix from yanking the Defender shows? I guess this is maybe conspiracy theorist of me, but I think it's a legitimate thing to ask. If Netflix announced that they were going to pull the Marvel shows. And that the only way you could have them for the future was to buy the super deluxe complete edition Netflix MCU Blu-ray set that had all whatever nine or ten seasons of Netflix Marvel shows. A lot of people, myself included, would probably go out and drop a hundred, hundred and fifty bucks on that Blu-ray set, wouldn't they? Well, I think it would be a lot more than that. Because what, what are the Blu-ray sets now? They're 30 to 40 bucks a piece, maybe? I don't know. Maybe I'm out of pocket with that, too. I don't know. But, I, mean, you've got, I mean, you'd have to, I think, discount them a little. But still. Right, you would. But still, if we're doing, even if it's 20 bucks a uh, season, we're still talking what? I went to Iowa school for math, 200 bucks. 12 seasons, so. Yeah, it'd be 250 basically. You would spend 250 for those shows? I would buy Daredevil season three, maybe. Well, that's that's why I priced it where I did. Maybe that's unrealistic, but like I'm just saying, if you're Netflix, you could totally game this where you like start doing the Disney Vault thing, where you're like, yeah, we're gonna pull shows off. If you want to have them for prosperity to watch whenever, 
you'll have to buy the DVDs, of which we're making a cut, or the Blu-rays or whatever, or buy them digitally. And then Netflix makes money that way. And then five years from now, they go, oh, we're putting them back out of the vault. And then they get a bunch of subscribers back to go, oh, I haven't watched that in a while. I'd love to watch those again. And, like, you could just go through cycles of that, of moving it on and off, and you'd make money on the physical copies and on the subscribers every time you do it. I mean, that's that's kind of the only thought process that makes sense, you know? If, if they're just trying to manipulate the... Um system or, or manipulate the, the, the subscriber base, I guess, you know, I, I can't think f- for the life of me. And like, you know, like I said earlier, resources or something like that, I don't know. May, and, and that's the thing. It might come down to maybe, maybe it's in the contract that these shows have to remain on Netflix. You know, we don't know, I guess, we, you know, that's, that's the gist of it. We, we don't know what's in the contract. Maybe this is all a moot point because the defender shows have to remain on Netflix. Um, but I don't know. And that's the thing that that's all, that's the gray area. That's, that's going to get even murkier. If these shows to restart were to restart elsewhere, you know, if, if Marvel television pitches, um, daredevil and iron fist to Hulu, what's happens to those five seasons of content? Right, they're not going to start with seasons four and seasons three without having the other seasons on the service, right? Yeah, I, I know I'm a broken record on this. I really would, you know what, Adam? You want a good article? You should totally look into what happened to Clone Wars because Netflix produced an, a season of Clone Wars, and I think it's gone now, and it's going to be on the Disney Plus. Like, I think that would be a very interesting. Like exploration of what happened with that show and where that went. So, and I can't remember exactly if Netflix produced them or if like they were produced by Cartoon Network and they didn't air and Netflix bought them up or what. But I'm pretty sure that Netflix was part of the release of the last season of Clone Wars, and I'm sure Disney Plus is not going to release that show without those episodes. So, uh, last bit of news I had here was uh, Zoe Saldana was talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume. Three, and she was being a little coy about things, but she did definitely suggest that she's going to be in that movie. Uh, I'm guessing if you had to make a bet, Adam, would you put money down on seeing Gamora again in Guardians 3? Yeah, I think it's pretty much a given. Um, there was something else this week. Someone Was it a convention panel? Was it um, maybe the Russo? Oh, Russo's in an interview with... Kevin McCarthy, um, they mentioned that they didn't say much, um, but, but they talked about the situation, pretty much left it up to James Gunn. But yeah, I would. Um, Gamora, Gamora's going to be in it, I guess. Well, it strikes me that if she wasn't, they could have paid that off in Endgame, like Quill like coping with her gone again. Like It doesn't make any sense to me for us to keep it open-ended, and then in Guardians 3, like... They search for her for two hours, only to find out, oh, she's dead. Like that would be <laughs> that'd be a terribly depressing way to like finish out that trilogy to spend two hours searching in futility for somebody who was dead from the beginning of the movie. I think it's pretty safe to say she'll be around. Do you want to see her come back to the Guardians? Do you think it would be cool to see her as a villain? Like, I don't know. Where do you want to see her go? So, and this is this is where it kind of gets screwed. We've talked. It seems like it's beating a dead horse at this 
point. Um, and I still haven't looked. I still haven't looked when uh, Gunn was working on Guardians 3 compared to Infinity War and Endgame. Because it just seems so bizarre after after everything, you know, Gunn's put into the first two movies that the third movie would be searching after New Gamora, right? Um, it just seems kind of like the, that takes the storyline a step back. But there's something to be said about Quill going after someone who doesn't know him as she once did, you know. So maybe, um, I mean, you know, uh, Chris Pratt is kind of the foundation of that group, and I would consider him probably the the main protagonist, right? So maybe that's um, how he comes full circle somehow. You know, guys previously teased Guardians Three is is the end for for at least this iteration of the team. So maybe maybe that's um, Quill's swan song. I, I don't know. It just seems. Um, it's a peculiar choice, especially with everything that's supposed to happen. You know, there's been reports, better Ray Bill, there's been reports, maybe Richard Ryder, there's been reports um, of Moondragon and Lila the Otter and the High Evolutionary um, serving as Rocket's creator. Um, so it seems like it's going to be a busy movie. Um, so I just wonder if, you know, the search for Gamora is going to be plot A or the High Evolutionary would be plot A. Um, and this is all combined with presumably Adam Warlock, right? Um, cause Elizabeth Debicki's confirmed to be in Guardians 3 as well. Um, so I don't know. I guess, I mean, looking on paper at Civil War is kind of a similar scenario, right? And certainly even, even more on, on Infinity War and Endgame. And if this is, I mean, if this is Gunn's last hurrah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that we have another two and a half to three hour movie. It strikes me that the easiest way to do this is that you set up a scene early on where Quill and the crew are looking for her, but they're kind of looking for her all the time. It's not like the main mission. And then you set off the um, the plot where it's going to go anyway. And then 45 minutes, an hour in, she shows up as like an ally of one of the antagonists or like there's some kind of conflict and she like shows up surprisingly in the middle of it and kind of finds them more than they find her. To me, that's an easier way to handle that that still brings her into the fold. Right, right. And I did, I mean, I was sitting there, I didn't know, uh, I mean, Far From Home was two hours and nine minutes. I don't know compared to uh, um, Homecoming, but it just seems like these movies are generally getting a little bit longer each time. And they can get away with it now. Like, the more you know these characters, the more you're willing to put up with, I think. Do you have any other news for this week, or are we ready to move along? Uh, no, I mean, there was some, uh, I, I did get to speak with David Harbour a little bit, um, and he's super excited for Black Widow, even though it's not officially announced, and it's not officially announced he's in it. He, he said Kate Shortland's the best director he's ever worked with. Um, what do you say? He says it, it's very much feels like it's an indie movie. Um, it was interesting. He was talking about the MCU producers and he, uh, name dropped, um, Luis Desposito, 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 um, that guy, he name dropped him before Kevin Feige, which I thought was peculiar because normally he's not, um, in the limelight too much. It's always uh, Kevin or Victoria Alonso. Oh, um, Shang-Chi stuff, man. Have you been seeing this this crew Shang-Chi's putting together? 
Oh, just like I saw the costume director from yeah, Aquaman. Yeah, Aquaman um, in the Matrix. Um, what else did Kim Parrott do? Um, Speed Racer. Um, and then the production designer of the 300 sequel. And then the visual effects guy from Captain Marvel and Guardians 2. Which is weird, right? I mean, I figured Shang-Chi would probably be the most grounded of the movies. Um, but it seems like maybe they're going to go in a totally new direction. Maybe they're going to give us Kun Lun and a dragon. And just give Shang-Chi that role instead. I saw something on Twitter the other day that was like this village somewhere in China or wherever where they had like this festival and they had this giant like parade dragon they've made that's like, I don't know, made out of ceramic or plastic or something and there's just like dozens of people that operate it and it like moves down the street and I thought, wow, that would have looked fine in Iron Fist, you know, like even that would have been better than what we got, so... I think Shang-Chi will be a character that is rife for, like, more liberal uh, adaptation. Not, like, politically liberal, but just, like, more... They're they're, going to be able to do stuff different from the source material more because people don't know the character as well. Kind of like Guardians, you know, James Gunn had free reign. And so I do think that the the fact that we know that Shang-Chi is being made as a movie doesn't mean we know anything about what it's going to be like or how it fits in the universe or anything like that. Like, we don't have an idea of where it's going to be set. Is it going to be set in, like, China? Or is it going to be, like, a James Bond, Black Panther globe-hopping thing? Or is he going to be in New York City? Or, you know, Hong Kong? You know, like, it's just... There's so little that we understand about that movie. I think it's going to be exciting to see how it develops. All right, let's go to TV stuff. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think, is our episode for this week. I assume you watched last week's uh, episode? I did. I'm trying to remember what happened in it. Um, oh, holy hell. Did you, The Iowa name drops? Fort Dodge, Iowa is right down the road. I know. I lost my <laughs> I actually now you're you're spurring my memory. I do remember that, and I thought, oh, Adam is gonna love this. Iowa, co- Agents of Shield comes to Iowa, right? And they, they did say, I mean, they um, what's his name, Doctor Doctor um, Benson, name dropped Sioux City before, but then they like showed Fort Dodge, Iowa, and they used actual aerial footage of Fort Dodge. I'm like, what the hell? I was just there yesterday. Why did they film there, man? Kinda, uh, I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, that was bizarre. It was one of my favorite parts of the episode where it was like, hey, these two things are trying to get together, so let's capture them and put them in the same room together. That seemed to be a very not strategic decision on their part. Yeah, they're just kind of, they're kind of winking it, man. They're all still settling into their new roles and then they're just kind of... Doing whatever, you know? So, uh, we had Sarge slowly trying to take over S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, we had his buddy turn into a dragon? Jacko. Hell yeah. I thought that was the worst special effects that this show has had in maybe three or four seasons. Like, that fire-breathing effect looked really bad to me. 
I don't think it was the effect, was it? I thought it was just a bizarre performance. Like, it looked like the guy was actually just, like, blowing air out, you know? And then the fire came out of nowhere. It was, um, it did look peculiar. Uh, we mentioned Daisy. We did finally get a little more of her, though unfortunately she was paired with Deke, which made it not as interesting. Yeah, and then we got, uh, I think we got a goodbye to Enoch, maybe, for a while. We have a new mysterious player who's come in to try to pick up obelisks from Earth. I'm just saying things that happened in this episode. Did you have any other thoughts about... No, that Enoch thing was was pretty touching. Um, even though Fitz was just um, totally crapping on him earlier in the episode. Um like you said last time, you know, it, that storyline, it was it was far beyond um, time to end that Chronicom stuff. Um, so it's totally understandable. Um, but now it, eight's this week, right? So only six episodes left. Um, I wonder, I think her name's Eisel. Izzel? Eisel? Um, is this new bounty hunter or hunter or intergalactic pirate or the red-haired lady um so yeah interesting so far i am doubling down on the idea that the obelisks are made from the shrikes i just think that's that's where we're heading like they're crystalline formations or whatever somehow they're going to grow together and they're going to turn the i don't know there's going to be a way that those transform into the obelisks i think I think it's kind of weird, as if you've looked at the trailer for next week, that we're coming back to talk about the obelisks. I, I don't, is that something you want explained, or is it okay just kind of being the mystery that it, they are? I am not super excited to find out the history and origin of the six-foot, seven-foot, eight-foot-tall rocks. Wait, yeah, that's what we're... Wait, is she just on the obelisk or the monoliths? Oh, I'm sorry. The monolith, yeah, yeah. They're comfortable with uh, they're comfortable with using it again, and it's been around since. When was the first time we saw the first monolith, the, the space one, right? Uh, I think it was it was a season finale. It was either season two or season three finale when it ate up uh, Gemma. Um, are they collecting like the infinity monoliths or what? Who knows? It's, it's interesting so far. It is moving. Moving quick around the downhill uh, slope now. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's go on to something I think we're a little more excited to talk about. Far From Home is out. We now have the 23rd movie of the MCU and the ending of the Infinity Saga, the last movie of these three phases of films. Uh, we'll start out with our really easy opening question. What would you think of the movie? It was a good movie. Um, I did not quite understand, um, everyone saying how it, um, changes the the whole landscape of, uh, the MCU moving forward. I, I didn't get that part, you know, after seeing through it, um, there's some stuff spoilery we could talk about here in a bit. It was good. It is not, it's not my favorite. It is probably a middle of the pack movie for me. Um... But yeah, it was good. It it got done, and I just kind of shrugged and said, well, that was good, and that was um, my most immediate analysis, I guess. Rhiannon told me um, 
she went back to her metaphor she always uses for Spider-Man. She said, it was vanilla ice cream. Tasty vanilla ice cream, but vanilla ice cream. <laughs> right. Um, I loved this movie. Like, it might be a top five MCU movie for me. Like, I was so happy through the whole thing, and it's just... Uh, I just think they hit all the right notes on Spidey and the nostalgia. I thought the way that they, like, kind of honored Steve Ditko, like... I don't know. When you think of Ditko, you think of Spider-Man and you think of Doctor Strange. And so doing a Mysterio movie and doing sort of the Mysterio thing kind of makes it just feel like a love letter to Ditko and his art and the things that he would do. Like, I, I just loved some of those things that we didn't see in the trailers that were a little unusual. I thought it was the funniest MCU movie ever. What? I did not stop laughing for, like, the first 15 or 20 minutes of this movie. Like, it was just hilarious, thing after thing after thing. Like, I was having a really good time with the humor. Let's talk a little bit about how they treat um, the snap, or the blip, as they call it. Um, Were you surprised at how kind of irreverent and flippant that they were? Like... They obviously had to acknowledge it, if nothing else, because of like all the questions about it. Well, how's schoolwork? And is everyone in the same grade? And is everybody who's not still there like they must have got snapped? Like they addressed all those questions right up front, but they did it in like a really humorous way. And there was the stuff about like the marching band disappearing and then like reappearing in the middle of a basketball game. That was the so that visual effects on the basketball court looked like tv quality visual effects that's that's the first thing that kind of set off a red flag i'm like ooh, that was peculiar and that's the thing it doesn't make sense uh i mean if people don't really need to see in game before far from home in that sense right because for people who saw in game they over explain the blip so much Right. Um. This is rife to be really confusing, particularly in the context of the high school. So I thought they were smart to like settle everything down, even if they did a little too much exposition, to just like put it in place. And I think, I mean, they made jokes about Tony's death within the first like five minutes of the movie. Uh, I forget it was something that one of the kids said in their like video report about Tony, like. I was just, I thought it was very interesting that they decided to go full humor with it because it was kind of a heavy concept to start a movie with that they wanted to be a funny movie. And so they just went full on, like, kind of irreverent dark humor, which I thought was an interesting and a choice I liked a lot. I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't say it's the funniest. Um, I get, there, there were several. Um chuckles like the bell scene i that was probably the one time i chuckled i'm just like what the this is so goofy bonkers bizarre um so i, I recalled that scene what other time the dad and betty stuff that that's that was funnier than crap but i don't know i wouldn't say it was the funniest mcu movie then again we have different tastes in humor because i thought guardians dick jokes were absolutely off the wall yeah, because I also don't love Deadpool's humor. I'm like, oh, it's fine, whatever. Yeah, that's too much, too. 
Uh, let's talk about Mysterio as a villain. How'd you think Jake Gyllenhaal did? did I mean, is this a uh, you know on your you know spectrum of MCU villains? Where would you put Mysterio? Um, I don't think he's the. Um, I don't think he's better than Vulture. I don't think he's the best Spider-Man MCU villain at this point. Gyllenhaal did great. I think he was better in the the back half of the movie after after the big reveal, you know. Um his serious or not serious stuff, but his good guy stuff. Yeah, his serious stuff wasn't I didn't I wasn't keen on that, but the the back half, he he did excellent with with all the stuff they went um going on. And um I it is. It's unbelievable. I think I mentioned last week they did thirty some television spots, and there was so much stuff in the final movie that wasn't in the television spots. It was just incredible. Mostly, all of it was in the, the you know back three quarters of the movie. Uh, but yeah, Jalen Hall's guy. I wouldn't Masira as a whole. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say he's a top MCU villain for me. I guess the performance was good. I just. Like you said, once once we had the twist, I really loved just, like, how kind of over-the-top, like, vain. And they never, like, he worked for Stark. He wasn't a Hollywood personality like he is in the comics. But he still had that feel to him. Like, kind of like the diva actor that is, like, so self-obsessed that they don't realize how, like, how other people perceive them. And I thought that was just a lot of fun from him. Uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, the way Anne Hathaway played her character in Ocean's 8 last summer, where she was, like, uh, this, like, famous debutante kind of person, and she just let, like, if people thought, oh, I bet that Anne Hathaway is a terrible person, she just, like, lived out that, like, id version of herself, and I thought that it was kind of funny to see Gyllenhaal do that as well. Yeah, the um, that bar scene when he stood up on the bar... It really reminded me of a, a circus hawker or something like that. You know, that just grimy, slimy, big dude with a mustache and top hat outside, you know, the circus, um, which was cool. The the, in the origin tweak, I guess, uh, I found was pretty, um, I mean, it's totally understandable for the times we're in, right? So I didn't mind that as much. It was interesting that they made yet another MCU villain that's Tony Stark's fault. Even after Tony's dead. Even after he's in the ground. There's still villains that are totally his fault. <laughs> right, and that, uh, that callback to Iron Man 1? That yeah. was totally out of left field. I'm like, what the hell? It does make me want to go back to Civil War and watch to see if there's somebody that looks like Gyllenhaal like, in the background. Because all I remember is the bald guy from Community. Do you think it was a negative that it was such an obvious Mysterio turn? Like there were so many people on social media that like took the like took the bait about oh it's multiverse and this guy really is from another universe and I, I I saw somebody on a pretty popular YouTube channel be like no I really thought that this Mysterio was gonna be a good guy and I was like as much as I love this movie that twist we could have come seeing a mile away this is the Mysterio twist. That is always in Spider-Man comics. There was nothing novel about it. Like, it was straight paint by numbers as far as, oh, in the middle of it, you're going to find out he's a trickster who's not really claims he is, and he has holograms. Like, that to me was a yeah. little predictable. Um, Going into it, I, I fully did expect the multiverse part of it to be real. 
Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if if he was someone that found out about that and is kind of using that towards his advantage or what. Um, but I don't think I ever thought he was actually going to be good. There were, at that point, there were, you know, there was maybe a gasp or a what, you know, um, somewhere far behind me. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I ever thought he was going to be good, I guess. Um, generally speaking, did you, did you like the plot? I mean, did you like the way they put in like Tony's drones and the Edith system and all that kind of stuff. I liked it. I think that was all uh, really good. The, the My favorite part of the movie, no questions asked, were the, I think it was two times, right, where Mysterio went balls to the wall with his illusions. Um, just totally crazy. And they didn't even show a frame of that in the trailers, right? Um, th- that stuff was probably some of my favorite stuff to take in. Plot-wise, it's, um, it was good. It was all right. Um... Um, what do I want to say? How do you feel about this idea that they continue to make Spider-Man so Stark-dependent or Stark-connected? That's what I'm. Tr- that's what I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of something to say. I just hope Spider-Man Three, Iron Man's kind of. Um, uh, what do I want to say? I think I hope Iron Man's certainly more on the back burner. Come Spider-Man Three, you know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It just seems. It just seems it was a lot similar to Homecoming, right? Um, in that sense, at least. I did like uh, the whole scene where Spidey makes his own suit using Tony's tech. And, like, Happy is looking at him and seeing, like, a young Tony in Peter and the way that he's, like, going about things. I think for all the criticism that some people had that, oh, in Homecoming, Spider-Man isn't really, you know, that smart. I mean, he... He's just, everything was made for him by Tony, and the suit does everything for him. To see Peter, like, get in there and actually make those decisions that Tony would make in building a suit, I just thought was a nice way to suggest, like, that legacy is continuing with Peter, but also to show us that Peter's, like, a really brilliant kid. And so I I enjoyed all of of that. Uh, Now, you mentioned, I think, already, you found some of the special effects a little wonky. Yeah, the uh, I know Michael T. Ford said in the live chat that uh, the stuff was supposed to be a student video production, but I took that um, at least those clips as if they were like taken from student cell phones or something. Um, that stuff and most of the uh, suit stuff, I just um, the more I see of this Iron Spider suit, the less the less I like it. It just looks it looks off to me. Um, all of the elementals looked good. Um, uh, you know, Hydro Man was great. That that Sandman shot from the trailer wasn't in the movie either. Not where she's shooting at him. Oh, right, right. Not where she's shooting. Right, but I mean, it it pops up behind them. It right, super super quick. We don't get a super good look. By the way, that was the Far From Home sneak peek in the Avengers extended cut. The first two minutes or what? The first minute. Yeah, they showed us all the way up to where, like, Mysterio goes, you don't want any part of this, and it goes black. That's what we got, was, like, them driving in and him saying that, and that was it. Hmm, cool. But, yeah, a lot of that stuff, a lot of the suit stuff, um, the red and black suit looked a lot better um, than the red and blue suit in the jersey. In the, so maybe it was just the Iron Spider suit um, that looked off to me. Um, but, yeah, it just... You could tell they didn't use the same vendors as as an Endgame or an Infinity War. 
Also, this is the only time we've ever seen somebody unsnapped. Is that right? Yeah, they just um, blipped back, I guess. You know, they just... Because in Endgame, like, the, they unsnap people, but we don't actually see it. Like, we just see the portals later on. So that band is the only time we've actually seen what happened, what it looked like, you know, on the other end. They actually just came back right where they disappeared. Which is also terrifying to think about what happens to, like, the people that were driving planes. Right? Or riding in planes that crashed. Or cars or what have you. Going back to the comedy bit for just a second. Martin Starr's conversation about his wife who fake blipped him. That was unbelievably funny. JB Smoove was awesome too. Every single time he he popped up, I'm like, man, he's he's good. I, I really like that part. Also, there was a whole little tiny plot, I guess, of like Peter taking care of like a, a crime boss family back home before he went on the vacation, and like he fights in the Iron Spider suit in a restaurant that looks a lot like the restaurant from Ant Man and the Wasp that were in the trailers that we just didn't get at all in this movie. Yeah. There was that. What do you think of... Did you catch that kind of bizarre um, Flash Thompson subplot? Yeah, just at the end where his parents didn't pick him up? Well, yeah, when Edith Edith was looking um, looking around the bus or whatever, and Flash's text was like, Mom, why haven't you, you or Dad talked to me in days? Or something like that. And then at the end, the uh, chauffeur was there and he looked kind of bummed out. So I have no idea what that could be. Yeah, I mean, it could just be character development of why he's such a doofus is because, like, his home life sucks. My wife asked if it's possible that his dad is Norman Osborn. Okay. And I was like, I don't think so, but... Have they ever said Flash Thompson? I don't know. They've changed some stuff up so far, you know, so maybe, I don't know. I've said on Twitter, I kind of want Ned... I kind of want Ned's dad to be... Like, if you really wanted to, like, give people, like, the the gut punch of the comic books, discovering that Norman Osborn was the Green Goblin, making Ned's dad Osborn would be, would do it. That's almost too close to uh, Liz and Vulture, right? Yeah, but it's a Spider-Man thing. It happens all the time. He's constantly meeting people whose friends are, you know, bad guys. Speaking of Osborn, uh, he does swing right through the middle of the old Avengers Tower that, like, now has been turned into, like, a forest in the middle of a, a building, right? Right, yeah, park-type thing. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of, uh, <laughs> did you see that skyscraper movie with The Rock? No. There's there's a whole plot in there where there's, like, a big park with trees and stuff in the middle of the skyscraper. I was like, it feels like they stole this from, from Skyscraper. Um, I mean, are we assuming Osborne Tower? And why are they screwing with us like this? Like, why don't they just tell us what's going on? I don't know. It, it could be nothing. You, you know, that's the reality of it. It could be they don't want to have to deal with it anymore. We have no idea what it is, you know. Um, it seems odd, though, to choose to have Peter swinging directly around the old Avengers Tower building. Like, if you know New York, that whole scene is right in the neighborhood of where that should be. Right, but did he actually... Because that one shot of him swinging in front of the building under construction, that didn't make it in the movie, though. Uh, I don't know. 
What's the uh what's is that um what's the greenish stuff? Is that copper? That copper roofed thing or that tealish roofed building? What is that? The library or something? So uh well the one right below it is Grand Central uh Grand Central Station, which is right below Tony's the Stark Tower because you remember they actually shot some stuff in Grand Central and Avengers with Hulk and Thor. Yeah, but I don't think that one shot from the trailer where he's swinging, looking at his phone, and you see that building in the tower. I don't think that made it in the movie. Yeah, I'm not sure, but when he swings through the building that has the trees in it, you can see Grand Central on the other side. So, I mean, he's at the same location. I mean, they're they're, they're definitely messing with us. I mean, they they know that we're looking, and they get real close to revealing it. They're like, no, we're gonna hide this. We need we can't talk about this movie anymore without talking about the the mid-credit and the post-credit. Let's start with the mid-credit. J.K. Simmons is back as J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, I thought he was Alex Jones. (laughs) Potentially. I mean, that got the loudest cheer in the the whole movie, in my theater. Um, And he immediately reveals footage from Quentin Beck that says that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and outs his identity. Was that, I assume, very surprising for that? I mean, I was shocked when that happened. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't get why people would believe Mysterio, a guy that's taken, um, painted this picture of him being from a separate universe over their friendly neighborhood web slinger, right? But yeah, in terms of J.K. Simmons, that was probably one of, I mean, that's gotta be the most surprising, um... Certainly, post-credit scene in the MCU. It does speak volume. I mean, is JJJ just a post-credits guy? Was that just the one-off nod? You think? No, I think that whole tail end was to say we have spent two movies reintroducing you to Spider-Man, and now we're going to put back into place the stuff you're used to. And so here's JJ. Here's the Daily Bugle. Here's Spider-Man spinning... That's the first time we've seen MCU Spider-Man in Manhattan. Which I think was not a mistake. You know, like... The fact that he was swinging around and had MJ... Like, it meant to go... Okay, now we are bringing you back to normal. We've done... We've done something different for a while to get you used to it. And now we are getting back to... True Spider-Man. They certainly can't end that with... uh, The third movie, right? I mean, Hall's enough. They could do two trilogies. Well, what was it? Uh, did you see we got this covered? Which I hate to even invoke, but they they had a story last week that Feige has a plan for three trilogies, like a nine movie arc for Spider Man. Yeah, the idea is that three high school movies, three college movies, and three adult movies. I mean, it's kind of believable, but we're, that's twenty years, right? Right. I mean, I think there's certain stories like Craven's Last Hunt that you kind of need that. I mean, even now. They've still been too light. I think the next one's going to get a whole lot more serious with Peter's identity out there. But, like, they're not ready for Craven's Last Hunt yet. I, they, I think they still... And I don't think they're ready for Venom. I think the next one should be a Sinister Six movie. And then after that, maybe start to get into the symbiote stuff. Get into Norman stuff. You know, bring in Craven. Like, I just... I feel like there's a whole lot more places to go. They can't go... I mean, for the third movie, they can't go back to Doc Ock or something, right? Because at least we've gotten Vulture Mysterio. But they wouldn't give us, like, an Electro or Doc Ock for number three, would they? 
I mean, I think we're closer than you might think to a... If they bring back Vulture and Shocker and Scorpion and uh, Mysterio, they've got four of a Sinister Six. But do you think that Shocker and... You think Shocker would be involved in that? And he was essentially a non-factor in Homecoming, right? I think you have to... I mean, if you're going to do a Sinister Six... You can't do, like, six movies with six antagonists. You know, like, there's going to have to be two or three that are more, you know, post-credit. Uh, turns out that Nick Fury and Maria Hill have not been in this movie the whole time. That it was Talos and his wife. Adam, you're the big cosmic guy. Has this got you pumped about what's coming? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it pretty much mentions that sword. And that's the, that's the interesting thing. Instead of... Marvel Studios trying to work with Marvel TV to give Fury back S.H.I.E.L.D. They just said, ah, screw it, we'll make a whole new organization, right? Thought it was a little bit peculiar. It did seem that Fury was vacationing in Tahiti, right? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of funny. But that that might be the um, the one thing that admittedly will kind of lead to more things in the future of the MCU, I guess. But at the same time, it... It's the most logical step, right? This alien comes out of nowhere and kills half of all life. Obviously, they're going to want an intergalactic thing. But that begs the question, when when did this organization get founded, right? Because this movie takes place in 2023, at least 2023. And um, uh, what am I trying to say? Captain Marvel is 96. So we're talking... Fury and Talos have been working together for 27 years. So I don't know if this was a post-Endgame development or or what. Was that actually Fury at the funeral? Probably. Um, but it did. I didn't notice anyone else on that spaceship besides Scrolls. right? It's almost seems... It, it was almost too big of a bombshell, right? Are they going to give us like a Nick Fury movie or something? Or how much more involved is Fury going to keep going you know how long is he gonna do this with the mcu see i was thinking that this is a total setup for captain marvel 2 and that captain marvel 2 could even be like captain marvel alpha flight because they've created this whole concept in the comics where you know carol has this alpha flight crew that are up in a station in space that are monitoring extraterrestrial threats i think it would make total sense for carol and the scrolls to be working together up there and um, and for Nick to be up there as well and all that kind of stuff. You know what they, they could be? This could be original sin, right? This is getting into Watcher or Man on the Wall type stuff. Yeah, that'd be awesome. One of the things I really loved about it was that we've been waiting for a scroll reveal for years now. Ever since we found out the scrolls were coming to Captain Marvel, we kept thinking that at one of these points we were going to go, gasp! That person's been a scroll the whole time. And they finally gave it to us, but they gave it to us in a really different way. For a minute, I thought, like, oh no, the scrolls are infiltrating. But then immediately we find out that they're good guys, and they're like, they've continued that subversion of expectations with the scrolls. And I kind of like that we, we finally got that moment, but not in a predictable way. And their continued use of the scrolls as an advocate for humanity, I just think is interesting. Like it keeps comic book fans on their on their heels, you know. It does. 
for the inevitable secret invasion so they can attempt to surprise us. Much like Mysterio, right? But, I mean, it just goes to prove if they really wanted to, they could use, they certainly could use this as a retcon type scenario. Because, I mean, looking at Fury, Fury seemingly has hundreds of scrolls at his disposal, you know? Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit in our chats off the show, and I kind of wanted to bring it in at this point. Is there a suggestion in this movie that the Avengers have kind of, like, disbanded and aren't available? Like, there was a couple of little hints that seemed to suggest at least Strange and Captain Marvel aren't around. Like, it seems like Nick Fury slash Talos needs Spidey because there's nobody else to do the job. Is that the sense that you got? And if so, like, what's going on there? At first, but then as the movie kept going on and as, um... Nick Fury kept slipping. I'm like, man, this this is often obviously the Talos reveal. It makes a lot more sense, right? It just seems like the, uh, um, I wouldn't call it networking, but the inability or the ineptitude to do it. Maybe they were doing a mission or something. I don't know. I think one of the ways this movie does, though, set up the future of the universe is we don't have like the central like organizational pieces that we used to have to the Avengers. Cap is not there to rally them. Iron Man is not there to put them together. Natasha is not there to hold them together. Clearly, Nick is off in space doing his own deal. We have since reason to believe Captain Marvel's gone off planet. Doctor Strange is kind of a loner. He's not putting people. It seems like uh, this Falcon and Bucky show will give us like the only two people that are around to still kind of like hold the team together. I guess maybe Banner. Like, I think there's a lot of questions about the future of the Avengers that are up in the air that I didn't think about being up in the air until I saw this movie. Right. Yeah. All right. Any other takeaways? Anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap this up? No, it was good. Like I said, so those uh, Mysterio scenes are some of the best um, best visuals, I think. I, they were much better than anything we saw in Strange, right? I saw those things, and I'm like, wow, they didn't... I mean, Strange was a spectacle, but I expected the Strange stuff to... Those, the the Mysterio scenes were a lot more Ditko than we've ever seen in the MCU. Um, Hall is great. Obviously, Holland's great. Zendaya is amazing. Um, it was good. I, I, like I said, it'll probably be... I, I did like it a little bit more than Homecoming. I also felt like... Um... To me, that was the biggest surprise they kept back because we saw even bits of the London stuff in the trailers. But the thing that was the real surprise was uh, all of the dreamy, like, I don't know what to call it, dream sequence, hologram sequence, all the stuff in Berlin where he went full Mysterio. And I think I kind of convinced myself that they were going to, like, MCU ground Mysterio. So that he was going to be not quite as fantastical and that we weren't going to get that. And the way that that like mirrored and echoed the way that Mysterio works in the comics and the visuals of the comics. And the way that it just kept Peter off guard and he couldn't figure out what was real and what wasn't. And then the way he got hit by the train. Like that whole sequence, we knew nothing about it before we came in. And I loved it. It just made me so happy. It felt like... It was a visual comic book, and it just paid homage to that character. And as somebody who's always really loved Mysterio, he's been maybe my favorite Spider-Man villain 
you know, before this, like they totally paid it off in a great way. And so, uh, all that stuff just made me just really happy. Like when I wasn't laughing at the movie because I thought it was very funny, I was just smiling to see how faithful we always say this on the show, but Feige continues to have more and more rope to just more directly adapt comics in all of their bonkers craziness and we just eat it up like we're fine with it if you wanted to get technical about well could the drones really do that and what's the physics of it and how does it work nobody cares because it looks so amazing and it's so fun that it doesn't it doesn't make a difference and so um that sequence to me just totally made the movie i was enjoying already but it was so good all right you want to hit the mailbag real quick absolutely um, only thing I've got on the website, Love Waffle last week was saying that we we're talking about Noah Hawley and his work on Legion. And he was saying that it's too bad they already have a showrunner because he'd love to see Noah Hawley took over WandaVision. Or he, <laughs> for Rhiannon, he even spelled it WandaVision. Um, so, uh, he thought that, uh, Hawley would have a good kind of take on the kind of content we're hearing that's going to be. So, uh, anything in the live chat? Yeah, Michael T. Ford has a couple of good ones. First and foremost, he says, I think that this Avenger Void plus the sword reveal, sword, 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 reveal makes the introduction of either the Ultimates or Fantastic Four seem like a logical extension of existing storylines. You know, that does that does make a bit of sense, right? Because why would they introduce a second group when the Avengers are still in existence? Why wouldn't they just convince like the Ultimates to join the Avengers, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, what else? Uh, he also says hopefully this means Monica Rambeau is an agent of Sword. That'd be awesome, and it'd be also a super uh, organic way to introduce adult uh, Monica. The other thing I've been wondering about: people have been talking about how this sets up the future of the universe. All this stuff about like tony's drones and the holograms and not being able to know what's real or not real i do wonder if this movie is trying to start a new era of the mcu where the society is a little paranoid like coming off thanos they're a little willing to believe things that they shouldn't i mean that was beck straight up in his dying words talks about how shocking it is what people believe if you just give it to them to believe and I do wonder if that sets us up for not only secret invasion opportunities, but also um, like Dark Rain and Osborne. Like it would not surprise me at all if the Earth and Cosmics, even some of the Cosmic stuff, like the next few years is going to be setting up, first of all, a scroll invasion, which puts people on the total edge. Oh, now there's aliens again and we don't know who to trust. And then someone like Osborne steps in to rule it all with an iron fist. And it's it's like the hope and optimism of a Fantastic Four that kind of saves the day at the end of all that. Like, to me, that would be a very logical way for all this stuff to progress. Oh, no, totally. Alright, I, um, I checked over here on our uh, Twitter, and not too awful much this week. We talked about TV last week, and... We never get as many comments when we talk about TV, so... I think that does it. You got anything else for this week's show, Adam? No, that's good, man. Just can't wait for Iron Fist Season 3. Or the Iron Fist Season 1 and 2 Steelbook exclusive on, uh... Uh, 
I probably wouldn't even go for that, to be honest, but... Sure. <laughs> what if there was a dragon on the cover? Oh, yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, we'll wrap up the show. Just as a reminder, if you did not hear at the beginning of the show because you skip over the intro... Uh, that sounded really nasty. I didn't mean to sound that angry. But if you didn't happen to hear at the front, we will be taking uh, next week off. No show on the 14th. And then the show on the 21st will be some kind of combo of San Diego Comic-Con coverage. If you want all of our live coverage from Comic-Con, uh, make sure to follow us on YouTube. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Um, make sh- uh, Become a Patreon. I think we'll probably put a little bit of that behind the Patreon wall. Rian, it'll be giving you live reaction from stuff. Also, if you're going to be at San Diego, go to the hashtag Save Daredevil campaign event, which is also co-sponsored by us, apparently. So, um, yeah, that's going to be good times. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the schedule. No episode next week. And then the week after that, it'll be San Diego something, and we'll all come back together, hopefully, on the 28th. So, uh, that does it for the show. Thanks for listening. You know all the ways you connect us. Website, marvelnewsdesk.com, facebook.com slash marvelnewsdesk, watch.marvelnewsdesk.com for the YouTube. Uh, you can get special content on our Patreon, patreon.com slash marvelnewsdesk. Uh, also, thank you to Alvin for our theme music. He's on all these different social media platforms at The Skull School. Tim Cox gave us our logo. He's on Instagram at Tim V. Cox. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for leaving the five-star reviews on iTunes. Thanks for supporting us in all the ways that you do. Uh, We hope you guys have an excellent summer break, and we will be back in a week or two um, back into the MCU stuff. Talk to you guys later.